Peace be upon you. So there's one single sin that God tells us if maintained till death, he will not forgive. And that's of idol worship. Meaning that if we commit idol worship up until we die, we are guaranteed a place in hell. So when God tells us in the Quran what constitutes idol worship, we should definitely take heed. The one item that I see that is easily neglected is the aspect of dividing God's religion. God tells us in the Quran that if we do this, we would be idol worshippers. And this is best depicted in Surah 30, verse 31 and 32, where it reads, You shall submit to him, reverence him, observe the Salat, and whatever you do, do not ever fall into idol worship like those who divide their religion into sects, each party rejoicing with what they have. God in this verse is very clearly telling us that if we divide God's religion, we would be falling into idol worship. And this is further confirmed in Surah 42 verse 13 where it reads, He decreed for you the same religion decreed for Noah and what was inspired to you and what was decreed for Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. You shall uphold this one religion, do not divide it. The idol worshippers will greatly resent what you invite them to do. God redeems to himself whomever he wills. He guides to himself only those who totally submit. This is again informing us that if we divide God's religion, we would be falling into this camp of being considered an idol worshiper. And if we maintain this till death, then we are guaranteed to go to hell by doing so. So we have to be very conscientious that we never divide God's religion. Now, what does this mean to divide God's religion? I understand this to mean that we should not distinguish between the believers. In essence, saying that there is a group of believers that are the true believers and then a group that is not the true believers. By doing so, we're setting a distinction. And God tells us in the Quran, in Surah 6, verse 52, says, And do not dismiss those who implore their Lord day and night, devoting themselves to Him alone. You are not responsible for their reckoning, nor are they responsible for your reckoning. If you dismiss them, you will be a transgressor. God is informing us that if we dismiss a group of believers and say they are not believers, then we would be constituted as transgressors. And what's interesting about this is it says we're not responsible for their reckoning, meaning if they're doing something wrong, that's on them. We are not responsible for guiding them. We are not responsible for their actions, their beliefs. All we should care about is our own morality, our own integrity. As long as these people are devoted to God alone, they're advocating the worship of God alone, then we must consider them believers. In Surah 4 verse 94 it says, O you who believe, if you strike in the cause of God, you shall be absolutely sure. Do not say to one who offers you peace, you are not a believer, seeking the spoils of this world, for God possesses infinite spoils. Remember that you used to be like them, and God blessed you. Therefore, you shall be absolutely sure before you strike, God is fully cognizant of everything you do. We cannot go around, in essence, attacking people, either physically or even uh, through social media uh, with our words, by calling them saying you're not a believer, especially when they offer peace, when they're not being aggressors, they're not being aggressive. If we do so, in essence, we are falling into the camp of being a transgressor. And God is telling us if we divide the believers, if we start setting distinctions among the believers, that these believers are the good believers, these believers are the bad believers, I'm part of this group of the believers, I don't believe in that group of the believers. If we do so, such actions, then we would be falling under 
the camp of being idol worshippers. And this is not a minor offense. This is something to be taken very seriously. So the question is, how do you make sure that we're not dismissing people inappropriately? Because it's true, there are individuals who are not believers. But the aspect is, if you look at the verses of the Quran, the onus has to be on them to walk away. Meaning that by God's leave, we invite to God's path through the verses of the Quran, through the worship of God alone. But if people reject us and reject God's message, then it's on them that they walked away. In Surah 16, verse 125, it reads, You shall invite to the path of your Lord with wisdom and kind enlightenment, and debate with them in the best possible manner. Your Lord knows best who has strayed from his path, and he knows best who are the guided ones. God is telling us that we have to invite in the best possible manner, that we debate in the best possible manner. In Surah 3, verse 64, we see, it says, Say, O followers of the scripture, let us come to a logical agreement between us and you that we shall not worship except God, that we never set up any idols beside him, nor set up any human beings as lords beside God. And here's the magic part. It says, if they turn away, say, we bear witness, we are submitters. Meaning what we're doing is we're trying to unite. We're trying to say, let's find this common ground of the worship of God alone, to not set up any partners next to God, to not worship any human beings next to God. And if people are not satisfied with that, they walk away on their own. We see another example in Surah 3, verse 23. It says, Have you noted those who are given part of the scripture and how they are invited to uphold the scripture of God and apply to their own lives? Yet some of them turn away in aversion. So again, you see, the path of God is that of being inviting, of finding common ground. Now, if the individual chooses to reject it, chooses to reject God's words, chooses to follow their own opinion, chooses to follow any other source beside God, to worship another entity beside God, then the onus is on them. In Surah 2 verse 136 says, Say, we believe in God and what was sent down to us and what was sent down to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs, and what was given to Moses and Jesus and all the prophets from their Lord. We make no distinction among any of them. To him alone we are submitters. If they believe as you do, then they are guided. But if they turn away, then they are in opposition. God will spare you their opposition. He is the hearer of the omniscient. Such is God's system. And whose system is better than God's? Him alone we worship. Again, you see that the believers, they're inviting to God's path. They're inviting to the worship of God alone. If an individual is not satisfied with that, and they walk away from that invitation on their own, they turn away, then the onerous is on them, the responsibility is on them. But as God's religion, we must be inviting. In essence, to try to create distinctions among God's believers, people who worship God alone or try their best to worship God alone, we're only doing a disservice to ourselves. We're only confirming that we are transgressors, that we do not believe in God's word. In Surah 41, verse 33, we read, Who can utter better words than one who invites to God, works righteousness, and says, I am one of the submitters. Not equal is the good response and the bad response. You shall resort to the nicest possible response. Thus the one who used to be your enemy may become your best friend. None can attain this except those who steadfastly persevere. None can attain this except those who are extremely fortunate. God is telling us that the proper response from the believer is to invite in the best possible manner, to resort to the nicest possible response. 
And God is telling us how incredibly difficult this task is. That someone who is, in essence, your opposition, that initially you engage with them in the best possible manner. And it tells us how difficult this is in the following verse in 4136 is when the devil whispers an idea to you, you shall seek refuge in God. He is here, the omniscient. The devil wants us to go towards animosity, to go towards hatred, to go towards division. This is what he wants. He wants to split the believers apart, to disunify them. And we read in the Bible where it's, this is the strategy of the devil. So in Matthew 12, 22, sorry, 25, it reads, But Jesus knew the thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That if we want to maintain God's religion, if we want to maintain God's pristine laws in this world, we need to be united as believers. So why is there so much hostility and infighting and the division among the believers? What is causing all this? And it comes down to one simple fact, is the fact that it has to do with ego. And ego wants to push one's opinion and understanding onto other people. That they're not content with other individuals holding a difference of understanding in the context of something of the Quran. And they think by in essence forcing their opinion that they can guide individuals. And this entire ideology is completely flawed. God is the only one who can guide. In Surah 28 verse 56 it says, You cannot guide the ones you love. God is the only one who guides in accordance with His will and in accordance with His knowledge of those who deserve the guidance. In Surah 5 verse 105 says, Oh you who believe you should worry only about your own necks. If the others go astray, they cannot hurt you as long as you are guided. To God is your ultimate destiny, all of you. Then He will inform you of everything you have done. Again, meaning that we shouldn't be concerned with the belief of other people. As long as they're maintaining God's religion, their uh, worship is to God alone, and they're not forcing their understanding on us, they're not forcing their ways, their beliefs, their uh, way of life on us, we have no reason to quarrel with them. We have no reason to dispute with them. We simply present our understanding, and they present theirs, and we leave it at that. We see the example of the believing Egyptian when he was debating with Pharaoh. It says, a believing man among Pharaoh's people who was concealing his belief said, how can you kill a man just for saying, my Lord is God? And he has shown you clear proofs from your Lord. And here's the, the part it says, if he is a liar, that is his problem. And if he's truthful, you benefit from his promises. Surely God does not guide any transgressor liar. If an individual wants to spew lies, that's on them. If someone follows them, that's their neck. We shouldn't be concerned. For one, we can't guide individuals. God is the only one who guides. He guides us by in accordance with our belief. Meaning that if our belief is flawed, we're going to go astray. There's nothing anyone can do to change that. To think that by forcing our opinion on other people, we can force morality onto them is a false dogma. And this is what leads to disputes and divisions. And we see this in Surah 3, verse 7. It reads, He sent down to you the scripture containing straightforward verses which constitute the essence of the scripture as well as multiple meaning or allegorical verses. Those who harbor doubts in their hearts will pursue the multiple meaning verses to create confusion or division or disputes. And it says, And to extricate, 
a certain meaning or interpretation or determination. None knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well-founded in knowledge. They say we believe in this. All of it comes from our Lord. Only those who possess intelligence will take heed. Individuals who want to force their opinions to cause disputes, to cause divisions. It's not good enough that they have a difference of understanding. They want to make sure that other people agree with them. And if they don't, therefore they're no longer believers. Therefore, they're no longer part of God's religion. And the second they do this, they're falling into the devil's trap and they're becoming a transgressor and an idol worshiper. And this is something we have to be very conscientious of. I would love if everyone shared the same understanding in me. But the fact that they don't means that there's room for me to grow. There's room for me to refine my understanding. Maybe there's things I'm wrong on. And the only way we're going to learn is by sharing ideas. But this all backfires the second we think, A, we can guide people, and two, we resort to forcing our opinion onto other people in order to gain them to the right path. In Surah 10, verse uh, 99, it says, Had your Lord willed, all the people on earth would have believed. Do you want to force the people to become believers? This is something we can't do. We cannot force people into a belief. If we do that, we are tyrants. As believers, we have to be open to other people having a difference of understanding. That's fine. But the aspect is, as long as they're not infringing on our liberties, they're not infringing on the way we practice, that we worship, they can believe whatever they want. And we shouldn't dismiss them as no longer being uh, believers. Now, the question is, what do you do in the context of uh, hypocrites? Because... Hypocrites do exist. They're one of the three groups. You have the believers, the disbelievers, and the hypocrites. And the hypocrites sit among the believers, but they spread their poisonous doubts. And God tells us that even among the hypocrites, we are not to divide. In 488, it says, Why should you divide yourselves into two groups regarding the hypocrites among you? God is the one who condemned them because of their own behavior. Do you want to guide those who are sent astray by God? Whomever God sends astray, you can never find a way to guide them. God is telling us that even among the hypocrites that might be coming to our masjid, that might be amongst us, we should not divide. God is the one who sent them astray, and on their own they will leave. They will not be able to stand to be with the believers. We don't have to do anything, change anything in our behavior to get them to leave. They will leave on their own volition. And it continues in 489, it says, They wish that you disbelieve as they have disbelieved. Then you become equal. And you see that among the hypocrites, this is one of their traits, is that they want to force you to disbelieve. They want to push you towards their belief in order to consider you equals. They're not content with the fact of someone having a difference of understanding than them. And it continues, it says, Do not consider them friends unless they mobilize along with you in the cause of God. If they turn against you, you shall fight them, and you may kill them when you encounter them in war. You shall not accept them as friends or allies. So God is telling us that if they mobilize with us in the cause of God, that we should ally with them. But if they turn against us, then they become the opposition. And again, you see that you invite and they turn away. This is the way God's system operates. And if they are doing good deeds. We need to support them. We can ally with them if they're mobilizing in the cause of God. There's a quote from Frederick Douglass. It says, I would unite with anybody to do right and with nobody to do wrong. And this is the mentality we have to have. If we think that we have to only support the perfect ideal individuals, we will get nowhere. 
The way that we basically move forward, the way that we make progress is we find common ground. We find things that we that unite us, that bring us closer together, things that we find moral, things that we know are considered righteous. And irrespective of the belief of the person, what they believe deep down, it's irrelevant. Because if they're acting in the cause of God, striving in the cause of God, things that are pleasing and good to God's eyes, then by all means, we have every justification to mobilize with them. Now, one of the most common examples that gets brought up in the sense of not tolerating uh, individuals in a community and the need to divide is that of Moses and Aaron with the children of Israel. So the children of Israel, when they left Egypt and they were in the desert, they wanted Moses to create a golden calf for them to worship like the ones that they saw other pagans worshiping. And when Moses left to get the commandments from God, the Sumerians suggested to pooling all their jewels, all their gold together and creating this calf for them to worship. Now, when Moses returned, he had a dialogue with Aaron. And I'm going to read from Surah 20, verse 92 through 94. It says, Moses said, O Aaron, what is, the, what is it that prevented you when you saw them go astray from following my orders? Have you rebelled against me? He said, O son of my mother, do not pull me by my beard and my head. I was afraid that you might say you have divided the children of Israel and disobeyed my orders. So here we see this, this paradox. In one regard, you're supposed to be united. You're not supposed to be divided. In the other one, you have individuals who are clearly committing idol worship. They've created this golden calf that they want to worship as God. Now, it continues, and we see that it wasn't as simple as that. In Surah 7, verse 150, it reads, When Moses returned to his people angry and disappointed, he said, What a terrible thing you have done in my absence. Could you not wait for the commandments of your Lord? He threw down the tablets and took hold of his brother's head, pulling him towards himself. Aaron said, Son of my mother, the people took advantage of my weakness and almost killed me. Let not my enemies rejoice and do not count me with the transgressing people. So we see that the division took place when they set up the golden calf, that they threatened to kill Aaron. And in such circumstances, of course, we would not stand with such individuals. Now, what's fascinating is that Moses didn't go and disown all those individuals who worshiped the golden calf. He took the individual that was responsible, the Sumerian, and he kicked him out specifically. And it continues in Surah 20, verse 95, where it reads, He said, What is the matter with you, O Sumerian? He said to the Sumerian, saying, I saw what you could not see. I grabbed a fistful of dust from the place where the messenger stood, and I used it to mix into the golden calf. This is what my mind inspired me to do. Moses said, Then go throughout your life. Do not even come close. You have an appointed time for your final judgment that you can never evade. Look at the God you created and used to worship. We will burn it and throw it into the sea to stay down there forever. So Moses didn't go and kick out all the children of Israel who were worshiping this calf. He isolated it to the culprit who was responsible for this division, who was forcing his understanding onto the masses, and he eliminated that individual from their community. Now, we like to paint with a broad brush. We like to identify anyone who has a difference of understanding as us as no longer being a believer. 
And when we do this, we become transgressors in the work. We become idol worshippers. We just divided God's religion. The very thing we were trying to avoid, the devil duped us into it. And why is it that we fall into this trap? Why is it that we are not content with individuals holding a difference of understanding? Why is it that we want to force our opinion onto them? And again, I'm not talking about matters that have to do with our worship practices, the way we believe. As long as they believe it in their own mind, their understanding is different than ours. Who are we to, in essence, try to correct them? Now, there's an entire surah in the Quran that talks about these internal matters in the context of the believing community. And you'll see this in Surah 49, Al-Hujarat, which means the walls. And it's talking about how the believers should treat one another, how they should align themselves in a community. The first thing we read in 49.6, it says, O you who believe, if a wicked person brings any news to you, you shall first investigate, lest you commit an injustice towards some people out of ignorance, then become sorry and remorseful for what you have done. God is telling us to investigate rumors, false accusations, that if someone makes a claim against someone else, rather than accepting it blindly and just disassociating ourselves with them, saying they're no longer a believer, we need to investigate. In 49.9, it says, If two groups of believers fought with each other, you shall reconcile them. If one group aggresses against the other group, you shall fight the aggressing group until they submit to God's command. Once they submit, you shall reconcile the two groups equitably. You shall maintain justice. God loves those who are just. God knows that even among believers, we have pitfalls, we have shortcomings, we have disputes, we have fights. And it's the responsibility of the individuals, the believers, who are clear-headed to try to reconcile, to fight the aggressing group until they both submit, and then God willing, try to pull them together in one unified religion. And it continues in 49.10, says, The believers are members of one family. You shall keep the peace within your family and reverence God that you may attain mercy. So we're continuously seeing this is how we should behave as one believing family of believers. And it continues in 49.11, it says, O you who believe, no people shall ridicule other people, for they may be better than they. Nor shall any women ridicule other women, for they may be better than they. Nor shall you mock one another or make fun of your names. Evil indeed is the reversion to wickedness after attaining faith. Anyone who does not repent after this, these are the transgressors. How often is it that we mock and ridicule one another? We might mock their physical appearance, their names, what they said, their understanding. And if we do this, then it shows that we're a transgressor. That's the reason that God says anyone who does not repent after this, meaning we've all done this before. It continues in 49.12 in regards to suspicion, making false assumptions about people. It says, O you who believe, you shall avoid any suspicion, for even a little bit of suspicion is sinful. You shall not spy on one another, nor shall you backbite one another. And it says, this is as abominable as eating the flesh of your dead brother. You certainly abhor this. You shall observe God, God is Redeemer, most merciful. God is using such graphic language to show us how gross of a behavior this is to have false assumptions about other people, to backbite one another, to slander one another. Because when we do this, what we're doing is psychologically damaging, no different than the example where God says it's like eating the flesh of your dead brother. That is psychologically disturbing. 
And when we slander, we backbite, we become suspicious, we make false assumptions about one another, it's on par of doing that. So this is something as believers we need to refrain from. And it continues in 49.13, says the only criteria for distinguishing among the people. It says, O people, we have created you from the same male and female and rendered you distinct peoples and tribes that you may recognize one another. The best among you in the sight of God is the most righteous. God is omniscient, cognizant. God is telling us that we need to recognize one another. We're different peoples, different tribes, different cultures, different understandings. But what unites us is the love and worship of God alone. And we should not let go of that. We should not let our petty differences cause division amongst us, that we fall into the camp of idol worshipers. Now, what's really fascinating, in the following verse, it talks about the difference between Muslims and Momins. It says, the Arabs said, we are Momins, which means believers in Arabic. Say, you have not believed. What you should say is, we are Muslims, or submitters, until belief is established in your hearts. If you obey God and His messenger, He will not put any of your works to waste. God is forgiver, most merciful. Moments, believers, are those who believe in God and His messenger, then attain a status of having no doubt whatsoever, and strive with their money and their lives in the cause of God. These are the truthful ones. Say, are you informing God about your religion? God knows everything in the heavens and the earth. God is omniscient. What we self-identify as is something that we want to broaden as much as possible. To submit is something that anyone of any religion can do. If we submit to the will of God, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Zoroastrian, Hindu. If you worship God alone and you submit to the will of God, you are by definition a submitter. And we are one in the same in our pursuit of pleasing God. There's a similar verse in the Bible, in the book of James. And um, I didn't realize when I first read this years ago that it's talking about the same thing we're talking about right now, disputes and divisions. And it starts in verse uh, chapter 4. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? These desires, it comes from the ego. And it continues in verse 2, it says, You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you have asked with the wrong intentions, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship within the world means hostility against God, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says in vain that the Spirit dwells in us longs jealously? Greater, however, He gives grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud. However, to the humble, He gives grace. And it continues in verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and have purified hearts, you double-minded. Endure hardship, feel guilt and lament. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And it continues in verse 11, says, Do not slander. The same word also means backbite. Do not slander, backbite one another, brothers. 
anyone who backbites his brother or judges a brother of his, then his slandering the law and decides the law. Then, however, the law you decide, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. One is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, this phrase, do not judge, it has a lot of bad connotation with it. We know for a fact when it comes to the aspects of our lives, things that we uh, affect us, absolutely we judge. The Quran is known as the statute book. It's the book of law, the book that God gave us to judge by. We judge by human laws. We can judge by the laws of the Quran. But there's a difference in the sense of judging by the laws of the Quran and being judgmental. In these verses, it's talking about the fact that God gave us these laws for us to apply, to be doers of the law. But when all we do is apply the laws to the lives of other people, now we've be put ourselves in a position of thinking that we are the judge in this matter. But God is the only judge and He's the only lawgiver. In Surah 55 verse 7 it says, He constructed the sky and established the law. You shall not transgress the law. You shall establish justice. Do not violate the law. This law is something we have to uphold. This is something that applies to us. If someone misapplies the law to their own lives, that's their own prerogative. As long as they're not forcing their wrong understanding or even their right understanding on us, then we have no qualms against them. We have no reasons to fight. It's because it's this worldly desire, the ego, this attachment to think that we can guide individuals that is going to send us astray. In the introduction to the uh, Quran by Rashad Khalifa, we read that all believers constitute one acceptable religion. As expected from the Creator's final message, one of the prominent themes in the Quran is the call for unity among all believers and the repeated prohibition of making any distinction among God's messengers. If the object of worship is one and the same, there shall be absolute unity among all believers. It is the human factor. For example, devotion and prejudice to such powerless humans as Jesus, Muhammad, and the saints that causes division, hatred, and bitter wars among the misguided believers. A guided believer is devoted to God alone and rejoices in seeing any other believer who is devoted to God alone, regardless of the name such a believer calls his or her religion. In Surah 2, verse 62 and 569, we read, Surely those who believe, those who are Jewish, the Christians, the converts, anyone who one believes in God, two believes in the last day, three leads a righteous life, will receive their recompense from their Lord. They have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. God is telling us again that these are reasons for us to be united, not to fight, not to dispute, not to force our opinions onto other people. But when the ego kicks in, when the ego wants us to think that we can guide other people, that we should force our understanding onto other people, all we're doing is we're breaking God's laws. In the attempt of trying to uphold God's laws, we're doing the opposite. In Surah 5 verse 48, it says, Then we revealed to you this scripture truthfully, confirming previous scriptures and superseding them. You shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations, and do not follow their wishes if they differ from the truth that came to you. For each of you we have decreed laws and different rights. Had God willed, He could have made you one congregation, but he thus puts you to the test through the revelations he has given each of you.
You shall compete in righteousness. To God is your final destiny, all of you. Then he will inform you of everything you had disputed. This is part of God's system, that we're different people. We have different revelations. We have different cultures, different upbringings, different backgrounds. But the thing that unites us all is the fact that we are working in harmony to try to do the things that are pleasing to God, to draw, try to draw closer to God, to worship God alone, to disassociate any forms of idol worship. And this is what unites all believers, irrespective of the name of their faith. I want to end with a story it has to do with some penguins in Antarctica. So each year around March, penguins, they will uh, come on shore after months of eating and feeding uh, to all congregate to the place they were once born. And they will walk potentially 100 miles to get to this location. And they form a colony. Well, this one year, two penguins got into dispute. And they were arguing, what is the best way to attract a mate? One penguin said, the best way is by bobbing the head. And the other penguin said, no, the best way is by bellowing and moaning. And they weren't content with the fact that the other one had a difference of understanding. And when the other penguin said, just let it go, that wasn't enough for them. They kept pushing other people to pick a side. Which side do you side on? Do you side on the side of bellowing and moaning? Or do you side with uh, the side of bobbing your head? And by the time that all the penguins arrived to their uh, destination, they broke into two factions. And the male penguins who bobbed their head, they attracted female penguins who enjoyed the look of a bobbing head. <laughs> and the male penguins who bellowed and moaned attracted the females who wanted a penguin who could bellow and moan. So now you have two factions within this colony, half the size of what it uh, was meant to be. And after the, uh, uh, the couples get together, the woman lays the egg. The man is left there to watch over the egg for the next two months while the women go and they feed. So the women took off and the men stayed there, huddled together in two factions, bearing the cold weather. Two months later, the women come back and they start walking back. Two women start fighting. They start bickering about what is the best food, nutrients, to give to a new penguin uh, baby. And one was saying that fish is clearly the best food that you can give to a baby. And the other one was saying, no, it's crustaceans. And they wouldn't let it go. And eventually, all the women were forced to pick a side. Do you believe it's crustaceans? Do you believe it's fish? And by the time they rushed back to get to their husbands, they were sure that they would convince them of their point of view. And they were ready to see their husbands into two factions and what they saw that they were all united again. What happened, the female penguins asked. While before you wouldn't stand the sight of one another, now you guys are acting like brothers. One husband explained that after the women left, the temperature precipitously got dropped and the winds began to howl. And it got colder and colder. And at the beginning, what happened is that the two factions grew further apart. But then the Weather got so severe that they realized that the only way they would survive is if they united again and put aside their petty differences. Because it was only when they all worked together that they were able to be able to fight off the thing that didn't care about their opinions, didn't care about 
what they thought in the sense of the best way to attract a mate. Because the cold would kill them indiscriminately. It didn't care what they believed. So that united them. And they said, we have to put these differences aside. Now the women thought that, oh, they're just hungry. They're not thinking clearly. Clearly, when they go and fill their bellies, they will see that while the best way of attracting a mate is a petty difference, deciding what is the best food to feed your young is something of very high importance. And what happened is after the men left to go feed their bellies, the same thing happened to the women. When the temperature dropped and their bellies started getting empty, they realized that the only way they would survive this cold weather is if they united and put their petty differences aside. Then from then on, while disputes would still occur, their new appreciation for unity would not allow their differences to tear their colony apart into factions, letting their community to survive for many generations to come. The analogy of this story to our lives is that Satan could care less what our viewpoints are in certain matters. We might have the right understanding or the wrong understanding, but the way that he can win is by driving a wedge between these two understandings and driving a wedge between the believers. Similarly, the cold didn't care what the penguins thought in the sense of what the best food source is or what the uh, uh, best way of attracting a mate. It was attacking them indiscriminately and would love to see them split into two because when they do that, they become easier to conquer. God tells us in the Quran in Surah 17 verse 53, it says, Tell my servants to treat each other in the best possible manner, for the devil will always try to drive a wedge among them. Surely the devil is man's most ardent enemy. This is what the devil wants. The devil wants us to have animosity, hatred, bitterness, and division amongst ourselves because it makes it easier for us to conquer. But we have to fight these urges. We have to fight the impulses that the devil is whispering into our ears and stay united and focus on the worship of God alone because this is the aspect that unites us. In Surah 3, verse 1 and 3, it says, You shall hold fast to the rope of God, all of you. Do not be divided. Recall God's blessings upon you. You used to be enemies and he reconciled your hearts. By his grace, you became brethren. You were at the brink of a pit of fire and he saved you therefrom. God thus explains his revelations for you that you may be guided. Let there be a community of you who invite to what is good and advocate righteousness and forbid evil. These are the winners. Do not be like those who became divided and disputed despite the clear proofs that were given to them. For these have incurred a terrible retribution. God willing, let's end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com and try your utmost, all of us, to God willing, stay united, to worship God alone, and not to divide ourselves. Till next time, peace and God bless.